Hello. Last week, we talked about what do teams really mean when they ask teachers to collect data for RTI. And I kind of went off on some tangents on that. But I do hope that that episode helped to clear up a little bit of the process and, and what what teams are looking for when they're talking about data. I've been asked a lot recently about how to take data for RTI. So I figured today we'd talk about that. Teachers know they need to take that data, but wrapping their heads around the how has been pretty difficult for a lot of teachers. So today I'm going to share four simple steps to getting started with collecting data for RTI in your classroom. Jessica Curtis of Teaching Struggling Learners. I'm a boy mom and a veteran teacher. You're listening to the Reaching Struggling Learners podcast, where we talk all about helping students succeed academically, socially, and behaviorally. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have you been working on RTI in your classroom? but it all seems so complicated and it's taking up way too much time. Let's see if we can make that process a little bit easier for, you know, everybody. Before we get running into RTI, I'd like you to think about what you're actually trying to track. If you're tracking fluency, for example, is your assessment actually measuring fluency? Take a look at the assessment. Make sure that what you're tracking it's the most basic level that the student is struggling with. So if you go back to, uh, I think it was episode number two, when I talked about building a house and that, that metaphor for education in general, you have to have every single layer of the house built solidly. It has to be completed before you can move on to the next level. Well, that plays right into what we're talking about with this. You have to dig down into the most basic, basic levels to figure out where the weakness starts. And if you start there, if you start figuring out that area and working through it and and building up that area, completing that area of learning for the student, then all the rest of the learning will be made stronger. And so that's why it's really important to get to that most basic skill deficit when you're when you're working on with RTI with the student. So if you're not sure what level you should be assessing, what skill area, head back to the previous um, episodes that I've talked about this stuff and drill down to that area of true like skill deficit where it really begins. If you don't need to to do all that. Now that you've made sure that you're using the right assessment to track that progress, because you know, you paused me and you checked on it, and you're good to go, you're going to set up that assessment so that it's ready to use and access when you're ready to assess your students. We're jumping right into step one right here and collecting data for RTI. It is to have your assessments prepared and organized ahead of time. So the secret to this is to go ahead and prepare six to nine weeks of assessments right off the bat, have them set up, ready to go, copied, whatever you need to do so that they're ready when it comes time to assess. 
One easy way to do this is to have your assessments in a binder or like in folders or or like hanging folders uh, that are easy to grab and use when it's go time. I personally like to have them in folders, uh, like just my hanging folders in my basket, Uh, but it's up to you, but just have them ready to go. Step two is another organization and preparation step. For this step, you want to make sure that your data collection process is ready to go. It's organized, easily accessible. I know I said that already for the assessment. It's the same thing for how you're going to actually collect the data. Ensuring that you're ready to collect the data and record that data when you assess is really important. When you're getting ready to start collecting data, go ahead, make copies of recording sheets and fill in that extra, you know, just that extra information, you know, the stuff about the goal that you're tracking, the the dates that you're going to collect the data, what interventions you're using. Have that data sheet all ready to go and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. And then you're going to want to organize it either going back to your binder, your folders, however you want to do it. I strongly suggest that you have your data collection sheets with the assessment. That way, when you go to assess, it's right there. You can just put it right in there when it's when it's go time. When you put it all together, organize it, it makes your life so much easier once you're in the process and it saves you time just as the year goes on. You're not having to go and look for stuff. You're not having to make things as it goes along. It's already ready to go. So after you've collected your and organized your assessments, your data collection sheets, step three is to organize your intervention pieces. I know it sounds a little odd for this to be the third step in the process, But we have to decide what and how we will assess before we can figure out how we'll be doing the teaching. Does that kind of make sense? If you think about it, you have to figure out where the skill deficit is and how you're going to track the progress of that, how you're going to determine that the kid is doing better before you can even broach the topic of how you're going to make them better. So that's where this step comes in. Whatever interventions you're planning to use, make sure that the pieces, the cards, the the picture cards, the worksheets, whatever it is, they're ready to go when you need them. I try really hard to keep my intervention pieces in six to nine week gaps so that I have, you know, my six to nine weeks, they're ready to go whenever I need it, I can pull that intervention piece out and start using it with the students. However, you decide to work with your students, all those pieces should be ready and accessible when it's go time. You shouldn't have to be running around and looking for the things. I know I'm guilty of it a lot of the time, but if we get it all done ahead of time, we can really maximize what little time we have with our students to the utmost. Final step is, I mean, honestly, for me, it's the most difficult step because we as teachers have so many things on our plates. We just have, we're buried. We're buried in things that we have to do during a day. So this is the hardest step, but it may be the most important. Step four is to take a really close look at your schedule and figure out 
how you're going to schedule the time you need to provide the intervention, and when exactly you're going to assess the student. Don't leave it up to just chance and we'll fit it in. That's, you know that's not going to work. Having that time set aside is vital to making sure that you actually give the time to the in- intervention and to the assessment that it requires. You know if you leave it up to chance, you're not going to have time because just fitting it in, you know you're going to have a fire drill. You're going to have something's going to run over between all the other things you're doing during the day. You're not just going to fit it in consistently enough to make it work. Having dedicated time to provide interventions, it really is. It's, it's massively important to getting the job done. Now, I can hear you now. What do we do with all the other students when we're giving interventions to the ones who need it? Gee, do you think I've had this conversation with teachers before? Yes, I have. Obviously, that is a really important topic that we need to discuss. And it, we're gonna, that's going to be multiple podcast episodes in the future. But I'm not just going to leave you hanging right here because that's not fair. I've seen way too many teachers just left hanging on that on that question. So I'm not going to do that to you today. There are many different ways that teachers and districts have chosen to deal with that time crunch. The best way that I have personally found or seen to deal with it is to go ahead and plan for the majority of the students to be clean, to be completing either group work, especially at the higher levels, um, the higher grade levels, or reviewing skills like in centers. Um, and all the work that the kids should be doing, that massive, you know, the larger amount of kids, that should all be review. There shouldn't be anything new being broached top or, you know, topics broached during that time because the kids that are getting the interventions are going to miss that, that learning and then they're going to be further behind in that area. So center time for younger grades is perfect to do interventions because, I mean, the students are already broken down into groups. For upper grades, group work, like I said, is a good time for the interventions. Whatever time you choose, you're going to want to make sure that the work or the activities the other students are doing is consistent over time. What do I mean by consistent? I mean, if you can figure out a way for the kids to be doing consistent centers, meaning, are they do do they do the same reading fluency practice skill in this center? Are they doing word work or spelling words in the other center? Those kinds of things really make it easier for you to to first of all keep the centers going, to keep the kids going, and you're not having to explain directions over and over and over again. I take that back. You're going to have to explain the directions at least a million times. But over time, you shouldn't have to explain the directions as many times if it's the same activity. You're just changing out the topics, if that makes sense. Obviously, we're going to have to talk about this more um, in probably multiple (laughs) episodes. But in the meantime, I'd really love for you to message me with questions or thoughts on this topic. I'd love to have a conversation about it and figure out ways that we can help support our teacher friends in making this whole process a little bit more user-friendly. I know that RTI and time and 
all the things are super frustrating. And I mean, teachers are drowning right now. I'll be the first one to say it. Uh, we're drowning. The the COVID and having to do distance learning and in-person learning and blended learning all at the same time. I, I, it will be amazing to me if any teachers are not bald by December at this point. But if we can work together on some things, if we can really band together as a profession, we can get through this together. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Reaching Struggling Learners podcast. This is episode number 18. Please leave me a comment. Let me know what you're thinking. Message me any ideas that you would like me to share or just what you would like to want me to talk about. Um, Any questions that you have, I'd love to really be able to help out more teachers in in the profession. Until next time, may your coffee be strong, your students healthy, and it would be really cool if your internet was working. Bye.